0: Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 39. <clears throat> Excuse me for my croaky throat. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, but a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. <clears throat> let us hold unswervenly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Some area, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses and again, Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. <coughs> And, but my righteous man, one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Thanks, Carl.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we can dwell together in unity this morning. And uh, Lord, we ask as we do that, that uh, you would give us ears to hear your word and and also to grow in uh, loving what we have uh, with each other in you uh, and what we have in meeting here regularly with you. Father, we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well. Uh, I think if you were to ask people what are the the most common evangelical spiritual disciplines, that is, what are the the practices of the Christian life that are most widely recognised, I think the two that people would give you are prayer and Bible reading. Uh, I think almost everyone would say that. Uh, but I reckon there'd be there'd be hardly anyone who, if you said, can you think of a third? I reckon there'd be hardly anyone who would go, oh yeah, that's right, fellowship. <laughs> It's the poor cousin, I think, fellowship is the poor cousin, uh, fellowship and worship are the poor cousin uh, of prayer and Bible reading. Uh, there was an article recently from Matthias Media uh, about the term twice in which the author pointed out that originally the term twicer referred to people who went to church twice a day, morning and evening. Uh, then it came to mean people who went twice a year, that's how I always understood it, people who went twice a year at Christmas and Easter. So but now actually Twicer has taken on a different meaning altogether. Twice now refers to people who are committed sort of regularly, if you like, to a church but only go twice a month. Uh, and that is increasingly the shape of Australian evangelical Christianity. Uh, to outline the scale of the problem, in many evangelical churches across Australia, the attendance rates are down to around 60 to 70%. That is, among the people who are part of that church, committed to that church, every Sunday only about 60 to 70% of the people actually turn up. Uh, so it's not that there are you know, kind of 30 to 40% of people who only go once or twice a year, no, it's only 60% of the people who regularly come twice a month only turn up any given Sunday. Uh, Here at the branch, uh, out of a possible attendance across both services of about 300 people, we average only about 210 to 220 people. Uh, Or at the moment through winter, it's as low as 170 to 180 people. Uh, So too among the adults in the church, a little over 100 adults are in growth groups, while a little under 100 are not. Uh, Of course, there's lots of reasons, perfectly legitimate reasons, why people can't make it from week to week or can't be part of a growth group. And yet, 100 to 120 people away every week seems like an awful lot of people kind of not turning up. And if meeting together every week uh, at church was a bit like going to the movies, that is, kind of nice to do but not really essential, then you wouldn't really worry about it. But if meeting together is a gift from God and a means of grace by which he builds us up, reveals himself to us more and more, and strengthens us in our faith, then the low attendance rates across churches is far more concerning. Because it means that people are absenting themselves from something which God has intended for our good, something which God has given to us for our good. So what I want to try to do uh, this morning is to convince you that fellowship and worship are not simply obligations, but are actually great gifts from God, which we ignore to uh, our detriment. The place to start, I think, is by understanding that the gathering, that gathering is part of the fabric of who we are as Christians, uh, as, as people bought through the blood of Christ. So if you flick uh, a few chapters later in Hebrews to Hebrews 12.22, the writer there says... But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, Jesus, uh, so in Jesus, the writer says, we've come to God. We've come to this heavenly Jerusalem in some profound spiritual sense. We're gathered by the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. And that's not true just on Sunday between the hours of 10 and 11. That's actually true in all of our lives all the time. If we're in Christ, then we're gathered around the throne of God 24-7. Uh, Elsewhere in Ephesians 2, Paul says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're already there. We're already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We've been raised from death to life through the Spirit and we're seated with Christ in glory. We're gathered around the throne of God. In an article a number of years ago in uh, The Briefing, Philip Jensen, uh, Sydney Anglican, described our church gatherings as anticipations. I love that. It's a great word. Our gatherings are anticipations of an ultimate reality. They're anticipations of that heavenly gathering that will be revealed when Jesus returns. We're already gathered around Christ by the Spirit but we won't see that for what it is until that last day when Jesus comes back and we'll be gathered around the throne of God in glory. But in the meantime, as, as a church, as Christians, we gather week by week to reflect that reality, to anticipate that, to long for that. When we gather at, at church on Sunday or in our growth groups uh, or, in, or in a youth group, we're acting out a spiritual reality. We're celebrating by our presence together uh, our, our spiritual presence around the throne of God. We're anticipating and groaning and longing for our small, simple, unspectacular gatherings to be swallowed up by the eternal gathering of God's people in the presence of Christ Jesus. That's true of our church gatherings, I think, in a way that isn't true say, of a bunch of Christians meeting during the week for a a barbecue or something. Uh, That's because when we're meeting on Sundays, we're meeting with the purpose, with the aim of hearing from God in the Bible, of speaking to God in prayer, of praying to God, of praising to God. That is, our purpose for gathering here, week by week, is God-centred in a way that it isn't necessarily for our weekend barbecue. So gathering is part of the fabric of who we are that's also seen I think in other ways uh, in the Bible in the way that uh, the Bible describes the church let me just mention two others two other ways that that's shown so we're also described as a family of God uh, the one of Jesus disciples John writes in his first letter in the New Testament, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. One of our great privileges is to be the family of God. Uh, and if we're the family of God, then it makes sense that we spend time together. Uh, quite a number of people I know have regular meals with their families. Some people gather with their families once a week uh, for, for a meal uh, uh, to, to, to share time together. Now that's not possible for everyone because not everybody lives close to their family and not everyone's family is functional. Uh, but, but, but part of being a family uh, is is getting together and, to sh- and, and sharing with each other and in that sharing deepening our relationships uh, with each other. So while it's true that you're still a family when you're not together, right? You don't suddenly, it's not as though you walk out the door to your separate ways and you suddenly become not a family. You're still a family when you're not together. But there's no denying, I think, that our family relationships grow when we're together. When we spend time together, our relationships deepen. And actually, the less time we spend together as well, the less intimate, I think, our relationships come, become over time. Uh, And it's the same in the church. The more we're together, the more our relationships grow, the more we feel like a family. And the more that we're apart, the more our relationships kind of work apart. But we're not just a family, we're also uh, the body of Christ. So Paul says in Romans 12, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we've not just been saved to a life of us and Jesus. We've been saved to a life of us and Jesus' body. We don't only belong to Jesus, but but Paul says we belong to each other. It's kind of almost the language that people use about marriage. That's an extraordinary statement. We belong to each other. That is, faith in Jesus not only brings the privileges and responsibilities of knowing Jesus... It brings the privileges and responsibilities of belonging to each other. It comes with ramifications. It comes with obligations on us. We gather and we make the effort gather, both because we belong to Jesus and he calls us to do it. He says, meet together. But we also do it because we belong to each other. And a Christianity which is primarily personal and not regularly shaped Uh, and shared in a community of believers, bears little or no resemblance to the life of faith described in the Bible. And I think it's right to seriously question someone's relationship with Jesus if they have no regular or meaningful connection with his body. You can't just love somebody's head. You have to love the rest of their body as well. And in the same way, we can't just love Jesus' head, say, well, it's just me and Jesus, Now, if you love the head, you love the body as well. That's the two go together. And gathering together regularly is the context in which we express that love and in which we build that love. So gathering together is is, is part of the fabric of who we are. Uh, It's not not an additional thing. It's just an expression of what we are, who we are in Jesus. But what do we do when we gather together? What is it that we we, uh, aim to do? Well, maybe the most important thing that we aim to do is to praise God, which is another way of saying we honour God and celebrate God and rejoice in what God has done. So in Acts 2... uh After the day of Pentecost, on which 3,000 people became Christians in one go, after that, it became the practice of the church to meet together regularly. So in Acts 2, Luke tells us every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. So they met in the temple courts, big place, lots of people could get together. They met in their own homes, only a few people could do it at a time. But whatever the context, uh, the most important thing that they did was to praise God. Uh, We see that idea replicated through the New Testament. Uh, So in Hebrews 2, the writer puts these words from Psalm 22 in Jesus' mouth. So Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly, that is, in church, I will sing your praises. Uh, or in Colossians 3, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's this sense in what Paul says here in Colossians uh, of the church gathering and savouring the goodness of God. We're to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. It's a, it's a wonderful Im- image, isn't it, you know, of, uh, of living together with the, the message of God. And it's, it's, it's not just there, but it's, it's dwelling among us richly. There's this sense of the deep enjoyment of what God has done. As we gather together and as we enjoy what God has done, gratitude and thanks and praise ought to overflow out of us, from, from us to God. Now, one of the key ways that, that thanks overflows from us to God is in singing. Uh, we, had a, we had a leadership meeting this week, and we were talking about uh, things that people, that people who are not Christians might not understand, and we all agreed that singing was the oddest thing that we do. Uh, that is, for most people, it's just not done, except in the footy change rooms, you know, kind of at the end of the game. It's still done there, but, but not many other places. Uh, but singing is one of the ways which we praise God and in which we enjoy God. Uh, singing has multiple purposes, but, but that's one of the ones that I want to highlight at the moment. It's a, it's a means of expressing our gratitude to God and our delight in God. Uh, And as we sing with each other, uh, and as we sing praise to God, we we praise God in front of each other. We point each other to God and say, look look what God has done. And so we honour God uh, in the sight of other people. Uh, It's not just singing in which we praise God. It's also, uh, please notice there in Colossians 3, it's also in other words too. So uh, Paul says, in our teaching and admonishing each other, we also uh, honour and praise God. And again, uh, the Bible teaches us that our gatherings, uh, in that sense, are an anticipation of the end time as well. So in Revelation, we see this grand picture of the church gathered in praise. And worship of God. That's the end that we're going for. Uh, in Revelation 7, after this I looked, says John, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. What were they doing? They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Where are we going? What are we heading for? This is it. Gathering around the throne of God and saying, Salvation belongs to god praising god and honoring god i don't know how many people know the westminster shorter catechism uh some of you might have had to learn it when you're growing up but the first question uh is is worth inscribing you know kind of on your arm or something like that uh you know (laughs) writing it on the you know your foreheads or whatever but the the question is what is the chief end of man that is what is our great purpose in life what, what are we living for? What are we to live for? What were we created to live for? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we were created for. As John Piper has said, worship isn't a means to an end. That is, it's not something that we do to get somewhere else. Worship is the end itself. It's what we were made for. And so when we gather together uh, on Sunday mornings and and we praise God, we're doing what we were created to do. And sure, you can praise God throughout the rest of your life, and we ought to be, right? We ought to be worshipping and honouring God throughout all of our lives, every day, every moment that we have. But there's something profoundly significant about gathering together with other other people and saying, I'm honouring God. Look what he's done for us. This is not just about me, it's about us and what God has done for us. There's something unique and special about gathering with others who share our love for our Saviour God and honouring him uh, together with them. So we gather together because it's part of who we are as people saved uh, by Jesus. We gather in order to praise God, but we also gather to build each other up. Uh, So in the passage that we read from Hebrews chapter 10, we're told, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. A key part of our purpose in meeting together is to encourage each other in following Christ and spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. That's because it's actually quite hard to follow Jesus, isn't it? Uh, As I said a few weeks ago uh, about Bible reading, it's often easier to do things together with other people than it is to do it on our own. That's really hard to be motivated on our own. That's why even people who compete in individual sports often train with other people, uh, right? They don't just train on their own. It's easier to race against somebody else than it is to race against the clock. Ask any athlete, they'll tell you that that's true. Uh, it's easy to be motivated to go to the gym if you do it with somebody else than if you do it on your own. Uh, it's easy to be part of a spin class, not that I really, I had to look up what that was, but it's easier to be part of a spin <laughs> class than it is, than it is to, to cycle at home in front of the, the TV on your own, isn't it? It's easier to do things with other people than it is Uh, to do it on your own. Uh, We need to gather together because we need the motivation and encouragement from others around us. Uh, And in fact, the encouragement from other Christians is God's gift to us through his spirit, right? God God has given it to us. It's a a gift. He's saying, here it is. Uh, Please take it. And when we neglect that gift, we actually neglect the work that God is doing through his spirit, uh, and without God's gift of encouragement through his spirit-filled people, we so easily flag and stumble in the Christian life. I like the people who sign up for the gym and go once and never again. We need people around us to help us to keep going. I was speaking to someone recently from our church who'd been sick. They'd been sick for a week. And so because of that, they hadn't been able to go to come to church or to be part of their growth group uh, or, or the other things that they were involved in, and they said to me they, they said to me, at the end of that week, they just felt empty. <laughs> they were really struggling, uh, and they said i 'm so glad to be back. Uh, I, I, I realize how much I need this. Uh, of course, the lie that Satan tells us is the exact opposite. Uh, his lie is that if we 're having a hard week. It's the gathering with other Christians that ought to be the first to go. His lie is, stay home, take it easy, get your head together and, uh, and work it out and then go back. But my own experience and the experience of countless other people who I've spoken to is that when they push through and actually meet with fellow Christians, hear the Bible, pray, praise God, they're encouraged and built up and sometimes even wrenched out of the problems of their life, even if it's only just for an hour or two. Uh, a few months ago, Elizabeth Pollen wrote in the leaflet, so that, that means that I can talk about it, uh, but she wrote uh, about how her growth group helped her after the death uh, of her husband, James. Uh, she said, she wrote that she forced herself to go to growth group, even though in her own words, she was completely dysfunctional. But she found in the group the the help that she needed, not to make everything better, no one's claiming that, but to help her keep putting one foot in front of the other in knowing uh, and loving God. Uh, And I know one person who would say that while it's not a silver bullet, church and growth group are one of God's means to protect them and to keep their depression at bay. Someone told me uh, this week about fridge magnets that they have at the gym that they go to which say something like this, half the battle is just turning up. And I thought we should, we should make those for church <laughs> and put the branch on the bottom. And maybe we could make bumper stickers as well. Half the battle is just turning up. Isn't <laughs> that what an inspirational, inspirational statement? But it's true, isn't it? You know, I wish I could give one of those mag- fridge magnets to all the people who are not here this morning and say, yeah, you know what? We're all on the same page with you. Really, we are. It's hard work. But you know what? It's better to be here than it is to not be here. The kind uh, of uh, encouragement that we need is encouragement from our spirit-filled brothers and sisters in Christ. But it also needs to be said, I think, that the kind of encouragement that we need is not just some kind of general encouragement. Uh, just keep going, just keep your head up, you know, stiff a lip. It's not, that's not the kind of encouragement that the Bible is talking about. The kind of encouragement that we need is the message about Jesus, the truth of the gospel. Uh, So, listen again to to Colossians 3. Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're to teach and admonish one another, he says. We're to do that through spoken words and through those sung words. The words of our songs and the words which we speak, not only honour and praise God, but they build each other up. So the praise of God is both the aim of the Christian life, but actually it is also, in some sense, I think, the fuel of the Christian life as well. That is, as we enjoy God more, it gives us the energy to enjoy God even more and more again. We need to keep reminding each other of what God has done because we actually forget about it. We need to remind each other of who Christ is uh, and of the forgiveness through the cross and the life that we have in the Holy Spirit. We need to keep calling each other to live a life worthy of the gospel. And we need each other for that we so easily get caught up in the echo chambers of our own minds, that is, the same thoughts going on and on, over and over and over again, we get caught up in the minutia of our lives. And it becomes overwhelming, it becomes depressing, and it becomes discouraging. And we need people to lift us out of that by saying, actually, do you know what, there's something better going on in your life and in the world than just what's going on in your head. Thank goodness for that. We need to point each other to Jesus and to what he's done. And we need others around us who are doing that. People who speak the words of God written for us by the Spirit in his Bible. But notice too, I think this is just really lovely. Notice too that in Colossians 3, even our small acts of service are a means of encouragement and the honouring of God when they're done in the name of Christ. So Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, those small acts of setting up chairs and serving tea or coffee and handing out leaflets and playing music and leading the service and caring for kids in creche and helping someone find the Bible reading, uh, whatever it is, when those things are done in the name of Christ, they honour God and they build each other up. That is, they say to people, I'm doing this because of what we share in Jesus. I'm doing it out of gratitude for what God has done for me. If your kids kids are in the crash at the moment, those people who are doing that are doing that in gratitude to God and as encouragement to you. And if you received a leaflet this morning, the person who handed that to you did that because... They were grateful to God and because they loved you. And when your cup gets washed up after church this morning, that person will probably be doing it because they're grateful to God for what he's done for them and because they love you. Uh, I wasn't going to say this, but I feel I should draw attention to it. Fiona is actually playing the piano for us this morning. And Fiona wasn't even supposed to be playing the piano for us this morning. But she came, and they said, and "Chrissy said we need someone to play the piano." And Fiona said, oh, "I can do that." Fiona doesn't even belong to our congregation anymore. She belongs to the four pm congregation. Isn't that a wonderful gift of love? And so many people do that. You know, we could draw attention to lots of ways that people do that. What a great encouragement! And don't we miss out when we don't gather? Because we don't see it. We don't see the way that people are pouring themselves out in love for us, in gratitude to God, and because they love us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, the book of Hebrews uh, also gives us one other sobering reason, I think, why we need to gather regularly. Uh, The key purpose, according to the writer of Hebrews, for gathering together is... uh, In Hebrews 10 there, is actually so that people wouldn't miss out on the grace of God. Having said that we ought to not give up meeting together, he goes on, the writer of Hebrews, to warn about the danger of ongoing sin in the lives of people who claim to be Christians. Uh, That is, the purpose of meeting together, he says, encouraging each other and spurring each other on is so that we wouldn't persist in willful sin and so that we wouldn't trample the gospel and be left with nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment. Uh, earlier in Hebrews 3, we, said, uh, sorry, we read something similar, so, uh, uh, so see to it, it says there, brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you, why? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. That is, we need others around us, uh, the book of Hebrews is saying, we need others around us who can shepherd us and keep us from going astray. So just like we need coaches and teammates in sport to help us grow and to correct mistakes in our game, we need fellow Christians around us uh, who can uh, who can help us point out uh, errors in our lives, errors in our thinking. Uh, we're not always living and thinking in the way that we ought to. And we need people around us, Christians around us to set us straight. Others can often see what we can't see uh, and they can help us to repent uh, and to grow. I don't know how many people have played golf. Golf is the most ridiculously frustrating game <laughs> in the entire world, isn't it? I used to play it once a week uh, when I was living in Geelong and uh, uh, and the problem with golf, with like with so many sports is that you can easily slip into bad habits. Right? So uh, you know, you drop your shoulder or you tuck your arm in too much or you move your head or you take your eye off the ball or whatever it is. Uh, and, and so you can end up uh, wandering the golf course <laughs> in complete and utter frustration, hacking it to pieces because, because you know, you, 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 your swing has is, is, is gone wrong and you don't see what's wrong. What you need is someone often around you who can say, actually, I don't know if you know, but, you know, you kind of... You, do, you know, you're doing this when you're swinging. Oh, okay, right, that helps. And in the same way, we need Christians around us in our, uh, in our lives, uh, people around us in church, uh, who can point out the, the, the problems in our lives, who can help us tighten up our spiritual golf swing uh, and help us to live our lives in the way that God has called us to live. But without the church, that doesn't happen. Without regularly meeting with people, that can't take place. And, and worse, what ha- often happens is that the errors just kind of compound. And they get worse and worse. And we can slowly slide into being hardened to God uh, and the gospel. So when someone becomes increasingly irregular uh, at, at church, at our church, uh, I worry that it's only a matter of time before they abandon the gospel. That's not just you know, I worry about lots of things, but that's not an unreasonable worry because that's actually exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says that what happens is that people stop coming a little bit and they stop coming at all and then they reject the gospel. Uh, people, irregularity slowly sleeps into never, uh, sleeps into never coming, then never coming sleeps uh, into uh not necessarily outright denial of the gospel, but to know living reality of the gospel in people's lives. So, in fact, often what happens is that people don't stop claiming to be a Christian. Uh, It's just that they completely give in to sin and give themselves to a life which God calls us to leave behind. Uh, And the writer of Hebrews says that that style of life tramples Jesus underfoot. That is, people say that they know Jesus but they live in such a way that what they do tramples and despises everything that Jesus has died for. They give themselves to the sin which Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from. So there are a number of people uh, over the years that I've been at this church, over six years there are a number of people who have slowly stopped coming to church and have slowly given up the faith. Uh, You probably know, some of you as well as I do, who they are. Some of them are our children. Some of them are our brothers or sisters. Some of them are our friends. Uh, And it can be a great source of sadness uh, for many of us to reflect on that. But it's our responsibility together as a family in Christ to call those people back. So if you know somebody who's wandered away, who's stopped coming to church, then please take the time this week to call them up and as awkward as it might be, encourage them to come back. And say, and you can even say to them, I want you to come back to church. I know church won't save you, but I want you to come back to church because I'm worried that you've abandoned the gospel. And I'm worried that you're going to hell. David Mathis, in his books Habits of Grace, writes... Fellowship may often be the forgotten middle child of the spiritual disciplines, but she may save your life in the dark night of your soul. As you pass through the valley of the shadow of death and the shepherd comforts you with his staff, you will discover that he has fashioned his people to act as his rod of rescue. How true that is. Fellowship and worship are part of the fabric of who we are. We gather with each other to praise God, to build each other up, to call each other back and to spur each other on. But before we finish, I just want to make one more point about our gathering uh, as Christians, and that is that gathering together to hear God speak in his word, to speak to God in prayer, to praise God, to honour God, to encourage each other, those things often change us slowly and imperceptibly. There's a recent article at Christianity Today uh, entitled, Boring Church Services Changed My Life. Uh, And it's a wonderful article, actually, Uh, And I want to read a bit of what that writer says. He writes, Since the age of five, I sat in church services, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday night prayer meetings. I wasn't allowed to draw. Uh, I was required to sit up straight, no fidgeting, and I wasn't allowed to fall asleep. Up through my teenage years, I thought of church as a bit boring. Sure, there were some life changing, soul stirring messages at summer camp or a special service, but for most of my life, including my years as a pastor, I did pretty much the same thing every week singing familiar hymns or choruses, standing up and reading scripture, listening to a sermon. Ironically, one of the axioms of my childhood evangelical faith was this church is more than the service or a building, it's the called out people of God living on mission every day. Church, I was told, will not get you to heaven. Only a personal relationship with God through Jesus will do that. I still believe this more strongly now than ever, but I also believe that in some ways church does or did save me. It didn't save me in the ways you might expect a spectacular Sunday service, a home run sermon or a gripping worship set. God's primary tool to transform my heart was not the conference speaker or the travelling revivalist or the worship concert. Those events were important. But now I realise that more often, God changed my life using routine worship services in which I sang hymns I didn't quite understand and heard messages I didn't quite grasp. He goes on to point out that Those boring services, in those boring services he learned precious gospel truths in hymns that were drummed into his mind and heart. Uh, He points out that like in every area of life, like in golf and playing the piano, uh, Christianity takes practice and repetition. And just like God has made us creatures formed by habit in our everyday lives, God has made us creatures formed by habit in our spiritual lives as well. He continues, this repetition built in my heart a deep reservoir of theology. These rituals train our hearts. We sing to ourselves songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We hear the same gospel preached to us over and over again. We lift the cup to our lips and the bread to our tongues, remembering again our place at the king's table. Through these practices, God takes our hearts and seals them for his courts above. I'm not suggesting Uh, That we should aim for boringness. (laughs) Uh, We should aim for freshness. We should aim for warmth, for joy, for hope, for gentleness, for simplicity. But we should also expect that in the simple means of grace which God has given us in Bible reading, prayer and fellowship, that in those things, slowly and unspectacularly, yet miraculously, by his spirit, God is changing us to be like Christ. To quote the article again, Somewhere in your congregation are children singing words they don't know, listening to scripture they don't understand, and fighting sleep during a sermon that doesn't hold their interest. They don't realise it yet, but the Spirit of God is pressing the gospel message through yet another boring church service deep within their hearts. If there's something more than anything that I hope we all leave here doing, it's believing that God is using this simple thing that we do of gathering week by week and hearing the Bible and praying to God and praising God through song. It's it's leaving here believing that God uses that simple thing that we do in order to build us in our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It's that which he uses to make us love him more, to bring us into a closer relationship with him to enable us to put off sin and to clothe ourselves in the newness of Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that as hard as it sometimes can be to make it here and as reluctant sometimes as we can be to come, my prayer is that we'll come because we really believe that through this God is doing something often imperceptible but always good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge your greatness. Uh, And sometimes, Lord, we feel that the simplicity of our lives uh, is so far away from your greatness. We feel that ordinary things are somehow beneath your use or ours. And yet, Lord, you're the God who made ordinary things. You're the God who made words, who made music and song, who made ears for listening and mouths for singing and praying and speaking, who made hands with which we can serve each other. And so, Father, we pray that we wouldn't despise the very precious and real gifts that you have given to us in our fellowship, in our partnership in the gospel, in the family of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for each other. Thank you for the way that you have used those around us to build us up, to call us to faith, to strengthen us in our faith, to strengthen our weaknesses, to help us keep putting one foot in front of the other. Thank you for those around us who love us and encourage us. Thank you for those around us who forgive us and bear with us in great patience. Lord, help us to love each other. And Lord, we pray for those who aren't here this morning because they found it so hard to come. Lord, help us not to look down on them because we all find it difficult to fight the good fight of the faith. Help us to band together and encourage each other to meet together and to do each other good. For your great name's sake we ask it. Amen.